Before my fantastic conversation with Dale McDowell, I have to point out that support for the Rigsby Report is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the -the below-the-waist grooming champion of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools, gentlemen, for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. So join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive exclusive offer for you 20% off and free worldwide shipping when you use the code DOD as in dirt on dirt DOD at manscape.com or on the app and guys trust me on this from the heart you got to trim up you cannot be a mess downstairs your lady doesn't want that you don't want that Get Manscaped. Get the Lawnmower 4.0. It's important. This should be a lesson for all the men out there. I know what I'm talking about here, okay? The new official grooming sponsor of the Rigsby Report. It's Manscaped. All right, let's go. And most importantly, welcome to DirtOnDirt.com. At the PRI show in 2016, Todd Turner and myself put together a really cool driver survey where we polled over 100 Dirt Lake model drivers about everything from what we could do to fix the sport, who's the most overrated driver, who's the most underrated driver, just a lot of cool questions. And it's honestly one of my favorite pieces we've ever done at DOD, and it got a ton of reaction at the time. I'll send a tweet out from my Twitter account later today So you can kind of reference the story that I'm talking about. One of the questions in the survey was, if you could name a commissioner of dirt late model racing, a czar who would oversee the entire thing, who would it be? The winner of that vote was my guest today, Dale McDowell. And if you really think about it, uh, of course it was Dale McDowell, right? He's been around every aspect of the sport. He's been around the sport itself for a long time. He's incredibly level-headed. He's very well-spoken. He's insanely well-respected. And I might not have thought of him in that role prior to the survey going out, or I didn't think about him enough, I should say, but the second that the results came in, Todd and I kind of looked at each other like, oh yeah, for sure, it it should be Dale McDowell. I have told him many times since that date, not only do I call him commish from time to time, but I'd like to be his czar of scheduling. He can oversee the entire project, but I get to schedule every event in the country. I will leave my my job as GM of Flow Racing and accept this position tomorrow if it's offered to me by Dale McDowell. So let's talk, Dale. Uh, a few things prior to me getting to the Mac Daddy. I referenced this on this very podcast last week, something that a few industry people said to me in lieu of the Lucas Oil schedule release a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I've had a few people say to me, uh, you know, high level or important folks that I trust in the dirt late model industry have said to me, I think this is the beginning of the end. And, and let's evaluate that, right? How could, in the wake of Lucas Oil releasing this huge schedule, and let's be fair to the world of Outlaws too, their, their points fund is up and they have a bunch of big money races too, and all the independent races that have been announced. How could all of this money being injected into our sport be the beginning of the end? Or why would the word end even creep into our vocabulary in lieu of all that news? These people's reasoning was simple. Even with all of that money being thrust into the sport, it really only helps five or six guys, according to them. Rocket One, Overton, T-Mac, JD. At the end of the day, the same guys are still going to win all this stuff. So even with more money 
it will literally only create more separation, more relying on engineering, more needing bigger crews, more truck drivers to drive all over the country. You know, they both guys mentioned that from place to place and run all of these races. And the funny thing about it is both of these people called me within like 30 minutes of these schedules coming out to completely unsolicited and said almost the exact same thing. I think there's this idea that, okay, good. Now that there's all these big money races and money will trickle down. And if there's more than a few opportunities out there where guys like JD and Brandon Shepard are racing, that means there will be 20 and 30 and 50K opportunities for guys like Jason Fager and Zach Dome and Ross Bales. But when you really look at how it's all laid out, that's not really possible, right? The schedules don't really line up or make it work that way where it will quote unquote trickle down to the mid-tier or lower teams. Now, I do want to see something like the UMP Summer National schedule in the fact that perhaps a Bobby Pierce gets pulled away from that a little bit or the Southern National schedule, maybe Overton, those guys run a few less of those, and maybe that does open some doors for the Jason Fagers of the world. But I think it's an incredibly interesting perspective from a couple of guys who typically know what they're saying, these folks that called me and said, hey, it's great for Overton, it's great for JD, it's great for Sheppy. But that's not really who we need to keep dirt late model racing alive. Those teams are going to be alive no matter what. And let me be very clear here. I love Jonathan and all those guys. And hell yes, we want them and we need them. And we want JD and Overton racing for big money. But I do understand the point of the minute we start losing, you know, Ross Bales and, and Michael Norris, the, the kid out in Pennsylvania, and Jason Fager, the, the minute we start losing those guys, that's when the sport starts to evaporate when those guys go away. So let's do both things. Let's celebrate the infusion of money into the top of the sport, but let's also keep an eye on things from a more global level, that this can't only benefit those guys. That won't help either. It's just interesting to me that two people who really know their shit in late model racing reached out and said that to me both within a half hour a couple of weeks ago. So I thought it was worth noting. All right, let's get to it. Dale McDowell. One thing about covering dirt late model racing as opposed to maybe covering other professional sports like the NFL or Major League Baseball or something like that is that in this sport, you really do form deeper friendships with the people that you cover. You just get such an up-close and personal access look with the drivers and the personalities of the sport. You're literally kind of going up and down the road with these guys and for us, over the course of 15 years, we have made some great friends in and around dirt late model racing. These guys aren't, you know, they're not surrounded by bodyguards or they're not in private jets. If you want to talk to Billy Moyer, you can go inside Billy Moyer's holler and grab him and talk to him. I say all of that to say, when I got the news that Dale McDowell, easily one of the best people that I've ever met in the sport and somebody I truly consider a friend and, you know, in a weird way, kind of a mentor, he's helped guide me through so much in my career, when I got the news that he had been diagnosed with prostate cancer, um, you know, there really was a lot of office concern here, a lot of concern in our office, and I could feel it in, in my heart, you know, and I really thought about Dale and his family a lot. We think that highly of him. Uh, and it's that, among many of the other reasons, that makes him just such a perfect guest for this week on the Manscaped Hotline. Uh, joining us now is my friend, Dale McDowell, who who I just, it was time. It was time to have him on in lieu of everything he's going on in the world. I just thought, you know what, it's time to talk to my good friend, Dale McDowell. So, Dale, I wanted to start with the obvious question. I know you recently had surgery uh, to address, obviously, your health and everything with the prostate cancer. How is your health right now, buddy? Can you give us an update on how you're feeling? You joked with me a little before we started that the recovery times may be slower than you wanted, but just just give us a heads up, Dale. How are you feeling and how are things going? 
Well, everything's progressing along as, as on schedule. Actually, uh, I, I got good news a couple of weeks ago, and uh, when they removed my prostate, they uh, all my markers with uh, all the stuff that they biopsied around my prostate uh, was clean, so I don't have to have any chemo or uh, any radiation at this point. Still, still not out of the woods yet. You know, we got I got a couple of weeks here to go, and I'll get blood work uh, done again, and they'll check all my levels again. But, uh, you know, as of right now, everything's on schedule. And, and uh, you know, as, as the doctor said, and that's why I was joking with you about before we went on the air, I really, when he told me, you know, the length of time that I'd be down, I, I kind of giggled and thought, no, I, I won't be down that long. But, but at 55 years old, I, I think he was pretty spot on in telling <laughs> me the truth. Uh, but uh, but it, it's, it's, it's been, I mean, you know, I'm out and going now and, uh, uh, just, just gingerly still. And, and, uh, but everything, uh, I just got yesterday or Monday was, was, uh, four weeks to the day. And so they released me to do a little bit of light lifting and, and, and things like that. So not sure if I can get back in the car that I'll know in a couple of weeks, if, if I can get back in the car, I really, I really miss, uh, being in the car and racing and, and all that stuff. But, you know, uh, the, the, the health was, was a major, my health was major concern. It was obviously at that point, and, um, you know, the procedure that I needed to, to have done and just thank goodness that, that I caught it, you know, at, at, a, at, a, at when we did, uh, everything was, you know, caught it at a very early stage. And so I've told all my buddies to, they need to stay on it and go get checked and, you know, and, and, uh, don't drag your feet on any of that stuff. And it's just something when you get older, you, you really need to pay attention to. And, and when we're out on the road racing and we think it can't happen to us and, yeah. and, you know, you, you hear it occasionally, but, uh, but uh, there I sat right in the middle of, of uh, you know, that going on. and and uh, But I had really, really good support. I mean, I, I've had so much positive support, you know, family support. Uh, Shane and Sarah come down and stayed uh, with me right, you know, after the surgery for a week. And, and um, you know, and, and Tiffany, you know, have been right there. So, and then just, just uh, a, a huge, huge support from race fans and, and uh, the racing family. Like you said, uh, just racing families is um you know it's bigger when you when stuff like this happens and and it makes you realize uh you know how how big it is and and the, all those positive vibes have definitely been positive on me Dale I know this is a little bit of a personal question but I kind of wanted to ask it um you know when you get the news about this and like you said you caught it early so that was good but you know again this is a little bit personal but when you find out how how, how do you react to that right we all never want to be in that position and I thought maybe you could you know tell us how do you react when you find out well, it was a it was a process uh, that that uh, that probably now looking back that happened over probably about a year. Um, my uh, testosterone levels dropped and about a year ago and and uh, and just got tired. And that happens, you know, when we get older, you know, and and just just your testosterone drops. So anyway, mine was extremely low. So when I went to the doctor, they were worried or not worried, but but before he put me on testosterone therapy um he sent me to get scans and stuff for for my head to make sure first of all i told him my head probably was a little confused (laughs) (laughs) not if i didn't show up on the scan but anyway to check to check my to check my uh pituitary gland all my glands and everything to see if that was okay so so he put me fast forward a little bit he put me on testosterone therapy was good everything my energy level was back uh sleeping habits better everything great and then I experienced some, some changes, um, you know, and just the way it made me feel. And so I quit taking it 
and um, and then it took it a little bit longer for it to bottom out and for me to go through the same symptoms. And then when I went back the second time, actually my you know that's when they they caught it because my it had dropped again, and so they did a PSA check, and um, my prostate had had. You know, they were just first thinking it was just an enlarged prostate, but but it ended up having, you know, I ended up having cancer, um, you know, and a tumor in there, and, and it took up like 25% of my prostate. So wow. I had a little bit of time to answer your question. I had a little bit of time to kind of prepare myself. I'm a realist. Um, you know, so so when we were going through this, you know, Tiffany was real positive, and she's like, that's nothing, you know, it's, it's uh, you can't worry about it. And I'm like, I'm not worried about it, but something's wrong. You know, I, I, I can tell something's wrong. So when we went in, you know, and, and go through the process, I get the scan, it comes back. He said, there's something we need to look at. And then we do a biopsy, you know, and, and so he does the biopsy and then, then you get the call, you know, and, and so come in to see him. And so we went through it, went through all the options and, uh, you know, so it did, it, it, it hit, it didn't hit me. I was kind of trying to prepare myself for whatever I was going to have to go through, but the unknowns, you know, that's what, that's what we're all faced with is, is just the unknowns. And, and at that point in time, when we kept it kind of, I kept it quiet um, there for a little bit, and, and we knew what was going to happen, hoping really I could finish the season out maybe. And, and then an earlier appointment came in that I could go earlier. And, and so Shane and Sarah and, and Tiffany advised me to, to go ahead and go, you know, just go ahead and, and get this taken care of, you know, as soon as possible. And uh so that's what I did, but, but it does, it messes with your, with your emotions, you know, just having to, having to, to think about what you're going to have to go through, but, but it helps so much to have positive people, you know, positive around you and, and positive people around you. And so I was really blessed with, with, you know, just everybody, everybody's support and everybody had my back and every, you know, everybody from our sponsors that were being okay with us not racing to, you know, to, to Shane was, was fine with us not racing and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, just a, just a bigger, maybe a bigger part of life that, that we need to take care of that, that people even reminded me of sometimes, you know, and, and so, so it, it was, it's different. Um, but, uh, it's just something we're all going to be faced with at some point in time. I wasn't quite ready for it. You know, we just, the way our lives are, are so fast paced, you know, you're just, uh, uh, you're not ready for those kind of setbacks, but, but it is what it is, and and um, you know just take step uh, step by step through the process, and and uh, just try to get you know across the hurdle. I've, I've just said it's another one of life's hurdles, and that's right. and uh, do my best to get across it, and and uh, so that's what we've done. So it's it's actually been uh, you know everything has gone since we've been diagnosed and went through the process. Everything has has you know gone well. So uh, been very fortunate and blessed for that, and just uh, ready to get back going. I thought it was pretty cool. Last thing I wanted to say on this, and then we can do, we'll get down to the, the nuts and bolts of racing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. Austin Dillon this past weekend, you know, all the NASCAR drivers had folks that had had cancer or been affected by cancer in their lives. They were riding along with them, and your name was on Austin's car. Obviously, very well documented. You've got a long history with Austin. You're good friends with him and the Dillon family. But that was pretty cool. I thought to see Dale McDowell riding on that three car uh, this past weekend. It was. I mean, it's it's it was cool. He he called me the week after surgery and told me that they were having that program and he was going to do that. So I was very honored, um, you know. And then I talked to him actually uh, uh, the day of the race. You know, he was you know kept in touch with what was going on and and uh, I, we keep in touch. You know, Shane and and Sarah. Sarah talks to him 
all the time more than more than Shane and I do because they're they're fantasy football. <laughs> but um, so they're they're fantasy football and they're all the time. But uh, but you know it was it was it was really an honor for me and and uh, you know and and for for him to do that you know and bring awareness maybe to people yeah. that's out there and and uh, but I had a lot of people. I mean Chase Elliott called me last week and and uh, you know just to check on me and see if I needed anything and see what was going on and. And, uh, so, you know, we had a lot of, uh, red farmer call and left me messages and red was probably one of the first people to call me and, and, and I didn't get it. I, I, I was, I was, uh, on pain pills at that point in time. And, and uh, so anyway, I was, I was behind on my messages, but, but he left me a message and told me he had it, that, uh, he had it done, had the same procedure done at, uh, 79 or something. He's 89 years old. So it was very comical. I need to let you listen to the message. He was telling me <laughs> what will work and what won't work. And, and, uh, he was giving me the rundown. And, uh, so he, you know, there's so many people reached out, you know, yeah. to, to, to check on me and, and do that. So it was, it was, uh, this makes you feel, you know, it makes you feel, uh, cheers you up a little bit, you know, and, and yeah. it makes you know that there's more things to look forward to and helps you to jump a little bit higher, maybe to get across that hurdle. Quick, uh, quick Red Farmer story. My dad said not that long ago, he said, hey, I was going through some old photos. I found a picture of you and Leroy Rumley from Cherokee when you were a kid. I said, oh, I, so I tell Kevin, hey, Kevin, my dad found this photo, Kevin Rumley. You know, I got to see it. So my dad shows me the photo. It's a picture of me and Red Farmer at Dixie. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> oh, wrong, wrong track, wrong guy, everything. So it just was, <laughs> you mentioned, right, he's, he was great. You know, he's always, every time I get to talk to him, he's great. I just, I wanted to share that anecdote a little bit. So uh, he's, uh, he's definitely, definitely uh, an icon in our sport. Dale, I alluded to something in the open before I had you on the air. I've joked with you about this before. Several years ago, we did a story on Dirt on Dirt. If there was a commissioner of Dirt Late Model Racing, who would the commissioner be? And you were the guy overwhelmingly chosen by your peers. Obviously, you know, you're a little closer to the end of your career racing than you are the beginning. Let's pretend that position existed. Would Dale McDowell be interested in being the commissioner of Dirt Late Model Racing? <laughs> Well, I wouldn't know what the commissioner would actually uh, have to do or, or uh, you know, everything that would be done within that job title. But sure. I, I would I would like to do something. You know, I, I, I enjoy I enjoy people. Um, you know, I, I enjoy uh, uh, working with with younger guys and, and, you know, different guys coming into the sport. Um, you know, I enjoy that side of it. And, you know, and, and then working with promoters and, and things, you know, that we've places we've gone to race and, and just adding whatever input I could add, you know, maybe to help the sport or, or help somebody along. And even if it's something that, that they don't need to do or, or the what not to do is what I, I like to say is, is some, sometimes a, as important as the what to do's, but, but yeah, yeah. When we're, when we're done and, and I never know, you know, we never know when that'll be. Um, but, uh, but definitely I'm closer to it, but I do want to stay involved. I love the sport. Um, you know, and, and, and I've been a part of it. This is my 40th year, you know, and, and so like you said in the opening, you meet so many people, um, you know, and, and when I got inducted into the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, it just made me go back and think about all the people. It's, it, I was in the limelight, you know, it was an achievement. So, you know, to me, but the credit goes so much more in depth than that. I mean, it goes from people that, that bought me tires when I was a kid, you know, at, at, at the local racetracks, um, you know, to that, that actually helped me all those, 
all those people had had a, a part of me having success, you know, and, you know, so, so really when you're standing there and you're getting the, you know, the, the credit, you know, for, for achievements, you know, then, then you just, you just think back at all the people that, it, that, it, that helped you get there. And so it makes you realize it makes you appreciate it. And not only just with our team, it makes you look back at all the other racers. There's so many people, you know, that, that are responsible for, for those guys to be able to do all of us to be able to do what we love you know, and, and so it, that was just kind of eye-opening and made you, made me think about it going down the road. So in saying all that, I like dealing with, you know, with, with the racers and the sponsors and the fans. So, yeah, I mean, if I've got opportunity to do something like that, you know, when I'm, when I'm done and when I hang my helmet up, then, then I'm going to welcome it. I'm, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm going to really be interested in doing something. What would you do? First two things. Hey, I'm the commissioner and you're creating the position. So in essence, you can, you, you said, what would the commissioner do? It's your job, right? You're creating the position, Dale. We're going to pretend we live in this world. What are the first two or three things you might do as this czar of dirt late model racing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of tough. I mean, there's so many areas that, that everybody that's easy target points, you know, as far as controlling cost and, you know, and, and, uh, going in and, and trying to unify the rules and, you know, and, and just, uh, keep it, a uh, a happy medium between everybody, you know, all the series and, and, uh, and everything, you know, between there's a balance, there's a balance between sponsors and promoters and, and race teams and team owners, you know, and, and drivers, you know, and, and so, obviously when you ask that question you know the first thing you're gonna you're, the first view you're gonna get is from a driver's standpoint you know which i've owned the team shane owns the team now think or shane and sarah does now thank thank goodness but but you know i i i think that really to answer that question michael i think you have to sit down with with different people in the sport and try to put the pieces together to, sure. you know, to know where to start working towards. Um, you know, it's just, there's so many areas there that, um, that, that, uh, could be addressed and, and, you know, but, but it's, uh, I mean, racing is, is probably the, the competition level is unbelievable now. Um, you know, it, it's at its prime. There's, there's a lot of coverage. There's a lot of, um, uh, I guess getting, getting the word out there. There's a, there's a lot of awareness, you know, of, of dirt late model racing, you know, from, from, uh, all different series from, you know, crate series all the way up to the late models, you know? And so, so there's a lot of areas there that, that a person could work on, but as far as me pinpointing that one down to one thing, you know, I, I would probably have to sit down and, and talk to some people to see, but I do think cost, you know, and, and, uh, trying to keep the cost and the rules within reason is, is the, you know, from the competitor side and the team owner side is what I see now, you know, at this point, you know, and, and uh, then just try to work forward from there. You started your career, you know, at Cleveland, a, a pretty famous racetrack in Tennessee. It's actually not there anymore uh, back in the day. You know, I've always heard these mm -hmm. stories about Cleveland. Not only was it a tough place to race, you know, yourself, Ronnie Johnson, Skip Arp, you know, Scott and those guys would blow through there all the time. All these guys that were there growing up with you when you were coming up. But it also had a reputation as a tough place. Just, just as a tough place, right? You didn't want to step out of line at Cleveland. I always heard that as a kid. Take us back, Dale, late 80s, early 90s. Is that reputation about Cleveland correct, both on the it was tough to race there and it was tough there? Are both of those reputations about Cleveland correct? I think so. Yes, I think that's uh, that's very valid. I, I uh, You know, it, it was um, – uh, 
my my racing up there goes back. I mean, Jolie Johnson used to pick me up there uh, close to my where my shop is now. He lived in Chattanooga, and, and I'd go up there and, and work at the racetrack before I started racing. You know, and and during the summer for a couple of days, and and uh, and then when I started racing, I had to kind of lie about my age because <laughs> I think you're supposed to be 16. I actually started when I was 14, and in a couple of months I was 15. But anyway, it was. Uh, but yes, when I was there when I was a kid, I mean, it was, it was a tough place to race, uh, competition level, you know, at at these, not only there, but all the racetracks, you know, that were around the Southeast here was, there was, there was, it was tough. And, uh, but you didn't, I mean, it was, it it could be physical. Now you might, you (laughs) might go to the race, you might go to the races on a Saturday night and it wasn't uncommon for a, for a fight or altercation to break out, you know, and, and, uh, so, so, but I, but I think that's, uh, you know, that was this part of the sport back then. I mean, that's what made the sport, um, you know, as, as uh, I mean, everybody works hard on their stuff, you know, and, and, and when they go, they take it serious and, you know, but, and they may have a scuffle and then the next night they're racing against each other. And then you may see them eating at the waffle house together, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a crazy sport, you know, but, uh, but yes, it was a tough, tough area up in there for we're, sure. We're going to talk about some of those physical moments later. All right. I am going to get to that. I talked to a few of your friends before this interview. I have a few, we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, but bottom line me that East Tennessee, Northwest Georgia area, do you think it is the best area in the country to grow up racing a dirt late model? Of course, I'm from Illinois, right? So I might say Illinois, but man, it's hard to argue against that spot you grew up, Dale. Is that the best spot in the country to grow up doing this? I think I think it was. I, you know, you pinpoint why, or you try to pinpoint why. I think there was so many racetracks. There was, there was you know, just in Chattanooga, there was racetracks two hours north toward you know knoxville you had atomic and and crossville and cleveland and you know and and uh smoky mountain and then you go you know two hours south you know you had dixie rome north georgia um you know that stuff and then you could go two hours west and you was you was talladega and and green valley and you know so we had a lot of tracks you know so there was just a lot all those race tracks had good car number good car counts yeah you know so so it created just a lot of racing within you know within a couple of hours from here and so there was there was a lot of a lot of good race car drivers that came you know from from this area and and actually um you know have won some awfully big races you know and and been really successful so but you know as a competitor when uh when you when you go to those other places i mean it was fierce competition you know, when you would go out in the Midwest as well, you know, where you're from and, and stuff, you know, but I think that there was just so many more tracks and, and it was just a, a bigger, uh, car count, you know? And so when they did have the special events, the car, the car counts were, were amazing. And the competition level were amazing. Driver talent was amazing. You know? So I think that's what everybody just kind of chased, you know, each other. And, and, uh, there's always some rabbits out there that would always make you step up and do the best you could. You obviously kind of became a big name in that region in the southeast, late 80s, early 90s. You know, I really kind of went back and looked through a lot of Southern All-Stars history. You're the runner-up in 88. You won your first Southern All-Stars race in 89. You won eight Southern All-Stars races in 94. And and the Southern All-Stars at that time, too, was a heavy series. Your first Have a Tampa win was in 1990 at Cleveland. And this is kind of prior to Have a Tampa becoming, you know, big as big as it was the national touring year. What was life like for Dale McDowell in that 
early to mid 90s kind of time before everything was breaking out. Were you guys funding your entire operation out of your pocket late 80s, early 90s? And what was it like for you in and around the Southeast at that time, Dale? Well, it, it was, we did fund it. You know, we had, like I said, we had some sponsors in there, but you just had to take your sponsor money and your winnings and really budget it, you know, to obviously the, the better you ran, the more you could go race. Um, you know, and I tell guys all the time that especially these young guys that come to the school, like, and I didn't know any different, you know, but then they had 90 day notes. I know most of you guys don't know what 90 day notes are at the bank, <laughs> but I would get, I would get engines on a 90 day note and a 90 day note for those kids out there that don't know what that is. It's a loan and you can actually just pay the interest at the end of 90 days and then you can renew it and you can renew it for a year, oh, wow. you know, and, and, and at the end of that year, you had to pay it off. So, so I would get engines on 90 day night. I didn't, I wouldn't do that today. I just didn't know any better back then, you know? Oh, geez. So, 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 you know, we, uh, uh, just the passion that, that, that drove us to do, do that stuff and, and being young and, and, uh, feel like, yeah, I'll make it. I didn't think for a day that that thing was going to blow up or, or anything would happen, you know. Yeah, I'll make enough to pay for it, you know. Did it ever happen but, though, Dale? Did but, you ever have it where you couldn't pay it back? I mean, or what? Surely you got well, close I, a couple I, it, times. It, it, it happened where I would have to sell something to pay it back. It certainly did. But uh, but I mean, you know, it, it was just very fortunate. You know, you get out there and somehow you would make it. You know, and and um, so, but but yeah, coming up at that time, you know, it, it was. Uh, and, and like you said, the competition level around here, you had Skip and, and Ronnie and, and Clint Smith and a lot of those guys running the Southern All-Star stuff, you know, my kid and stuff back in the day. And, and I was, you know, we were the young guys coming in and they had beat up on us pretty good. So you just keep digging and keep digging and keep digging until, you know, they make you a little bit better. You know, when you go race against those guys and, you know, they just, um, they make you either get better or, or go home with your tail tucked. You, you, you know, and, and so uh, you mentioned something I wanted to hit on there real quick. I just talked to Kevin Weaver from Fairbury. I think you know Kevin Weaver from uh, Gibson City, obviously the B twelve. Yes. He he told me a story. This is hitting on what you're talking about. How many times in his career he had to sell something to make ends meet? He goes, I had a Harley, had to sell it. I had a Camaro, had to sell it. I, you know, and then you mentioned that too, Dale. Is it just? I guess we don't all appreciate that enough. A, how expensive this is. And B, it's almost like a drug for you guys, isn't it? Like, you just got to keep going. And I don't mean that negatively. You got to keep going. And somehow you guys all seem to make it work, you know? Somehow. Somehow, with the grace of God, <laughs> somehow we, we, we made it work. I mean, it is. It's scary when you look back. on. I wouldn't advise it. I, I tell people <laughs> now, you know, that it's uh, it's crazy, you know, to, to look back at the chances that, that we took and, and, uh, but when you would get in bind, uh, a bind, a lot of times people would, would help out, you know, and, and, uh, you couldn't count on that cause you didn't know that you were going to have it. And then there'd be sometimes that you, you just, you just couldn't, um, you know, you, you'd have to replace it or run, run it home. I, mean, I know when I first started traveling, I got to where I could run good around home and I would go out, you know, to the Midwest or something and just get my tail kicked. And then <laughs> I'd run out of money and I'd come home and, I'd race a little bit more around home and save me some money up, you know, and get some stuff together and, and, you know, and go again. And, um, and that's just, uh, I mean, it was hard. I mean, you know, I mean, Shane and I run up down the roads and we had help, you know, helpers here and there, but, but we go to those places was not a shot at winning. We was just going to try to hope we made the race, 
Um, you know, and, and so when you look back on that now, the, the success level, you know, there's so much, um, uh, information and, you know, technology. Now you can get these guys, you know, they don't have to go through as lengthy of a learning curve as we did back in the day. Um, you know, so it's a little bit different, but it does cost a lot more today because there's no way we could have done it, you know, with, you know, funding ourselves like, like that in today's world, we couldn't have, we couldn't have done it, you know, back then. But, um, but anyway, it it is, I mean, it is, it's, it's, uh, when you sit back and you look at things and you go through stuff and, you know, um, but this was, like I said, this was my 40th, 40th year. So I look back at some pictures, my mom, she, she did amazing job keeping up with, with our racing and Shane raced a little bit too, back in the day. So she had, she had all, she had everything. She had a book every year and she'd have all this stuff. Well, she had, I looked my, my first year, um, you know, through about June or July, I think it was July I was looking at. So I started racing and, and she had, I had won $910 that year from, from March <laughs> till July. So, so you look back, you look back at that and you're like, holy smokes, you know, how did, how did we do that? And, and, you know, back then, but I was running, you know, that's when I just started and was running a hobby class and, you know, and, and trying to just trying to get out there and learn and, and, uh, figure out what to do next. But, but it is, it's been a, it's been a hell of a journey. What's the, you know, and, and, what's uh, the most painful thing you ever sold? <laughs> Weaver's Harley killed him. He said, what's the most painful thing you ever had to offload Dale? I, I've had to, I've had to sell like a, uh, a, a toter, like a toter home. Well, really back in the day we had, they had King of the road conversion bands yeah. back in the day and you were you know you could actually go up and down the road and i had a i had a tough year and had to sell that at the end of the year and and, and <laughs> just kind of revert back to borrowing somebody's pickup truck to go to the racetrack you know and, and uh and get going you know so i that was one thing i mean you know, a lot of times you'd sell race cars yeah you know or, or something you'd sell a car that you really wasn't wanting to sell but you would uh you know, sell it and then go get one of those 90 day notes for that next race car. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, you know, touch on Habitat a little bit here. Bloomquist had become, Scott Bloomquist had become nationally famous prior to 94, but I, you know, I was looking through some historical stuff and I love it on our website. Check out the history section for everybody listening. If you never have on dirt on dirt, it's incredible. Bloomquist won 22 have a Tampa races in 1994 and I really think that's kind of the time when Have a Tampa started to get famous from the perspective of Northerners like me, right? We're looking at the racing paper going, man, we know Bloomquist is one of the best in the country. He's running this Have a Tampa tour. He's winning 20-some races. You know, holy crap, he's winning a lot of money. You know, we've seen people win a lot of races in a lot of years and all that stuff, but try to describe to people like 94 Scott Bloomquist on Have a Tampa. That was kind of a sight to behold at the time, wasn't it, Dale? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, you know, Scott and Billy Boyer, you know, they were the two that everyone shot for, you know, back in the day, you know, and, and that was, well, I raced with Purvis some, you know, and, and so Jeff was, Jeff was obviously, you know, at, at the, uh, down at the top of the list everywhere he went, you know, and, and, uh, but then when Scott and them came along, they were just some that got to traveling a little bit more, you know, Ronnie, Ronnie Johnson did an awesome, awesome job, you know, uh, from here, you know, traveling and, and doing that, that same thing. So Ronnie was traveling. Ronnie was one of, one of the heroes that I was watching when I was racing around here, you know, and, and he was traveling up and down the road. And so, so I think, 
when they got out and got to traveling more, um, it just helped them. I know, I know how much it helped me. Yeah. I was just later in my career getting out to, and traveling to more racetracks. And one of the things that hurt that is because we had so many racetracks around here, yeah. I wouldn't go to some of those races because there was races, you know, specials around here that, that I could, that I could go to. And once I got on the series, you know, and, and, um, and it made me go to some of those places because you were chasing points. Uh, it helped me as a racer, you know, tremendously. So I look back and I'm thinking, man, that's, those guys are good, you know, and, but what helped them, I think, you know, get there quicker is they just, they just got to traveling early and got out there and and got educated on it and perfected it, you know, and they were good already. And, and so, you know, they just got there faster than, than a, than a group of them and, and, uh, you know, or, or, a big group. So when we all started traveling, there was kind of a group of us that yeah. started doing that together, you know, with me and Francis and, and Eckerd and, you know, and, and, um, Skip, Skip was running up and down the road, you know, at that time. And, you know, so there was a stout group, you know, once we got to traveling, you know, too. And, and, uh, so it was, it was tough to contend with those guys, but, uh, but I do think, you know, them getting out is what, what enhanced their, their, uh, their learning as far as being a racer, molding them as a racer, I should say, to all different types of tracks. And, you know, so they ran good everywhere they went. Well, and I know a lot of people will credit, you know, Robert Smalley and the NDRA, but for my money, have a Tampa to me, and, and I'm younger, right? So I'm a little biased, but have a Tampa for me was that first tour that kind of broke things out. They were the ones I remember people really saying, oh, okay, here we are with late model racing, right? They came north for the first time, and Scott was their guy. Am I right about that? I mean, you, you were right in Have a Tampa Country, Dale. I kind of think Have a Tampa had such an influence on the future of dirt late model racing, in my opinion. Well, it did, because basically it took Southern All-Stars. Southern All-Stars was a thing, you know, the, the big thing, and then it just kind of took that, uh, platform and just grew it, you know, Mike swims, yeah. you know, was involved in, in all of that. And Jimmy Mosteller, you know, with, with have a Tampa. So once they had their vision of, of expanding it, you know, and, and going and, and then Southern all-stars continue to go on, but basically they kind of took that platform from this area and just started branching out. Yeah. And, and so you're right. They just, you know, they worked their way, you know, further South and, and further North and further out in the Midwest. And, you know, and it just kept growing. And, you know, back then, the everybody got the racing papers. So that's yeah. how we kept up with everything, <laughs> you know. And, and so so everybody had a, a large following. And, and, you know, they would get out and they'd read about these people, you know, Scott and Billy and, and uh, you know, all those guys, you know, that were out there racing. So so as you, you know, we were just a part of that show then, you know, field fillers. I was a field filler, you know, when I'd go and, and learning and, and trying to just uh, make my make my notch in the sport there a little bit, but uh, but it was it was really special, you know, to be a part of of that deal and seeing where it actually started and and how much it's grown and how much late model racing's grown. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing, you know. When you, uh, I mean, I've been I've been around it, you know, like I said, forever, and and it just amazes me when you you go to a place like Eldora or something like that and you. And you top that, you know, you walk up there on the hill and you look at all the transporters and all the equipment, you know, and, and all the people and just the industry within itself is is just amazing, you know, how much it's grown and, and to be a part of it. And, and uh, to see where it was back in the day, um, you know, it, it is, it's uh, it's just, it's just very uh, uh, 
uh, eye-opening. You really hit the road, so to speak, for the first time right around 1997. You know, O.J. Monday calls you from Monday Trucking. I, I have a picture of me with a Monday Trucking hauler, by the way, when I was a kid. Uh, and, he, and he says, awesome. hey, come, you know, you and Wendell Wallace uh, be teammates and go on the road. Um, what was that like? And what was having Wendell as a teammate like? <laughs> I'd like to know as well. Well, Wendell called me yesterday to check on me, and so we keep in touch. But having Wendell as a as a teammate was entertaining, <laughs> uh, it, it, it was to say the least. And and you know he's such a comical guy and, and a good guy to be around, and a hell of a racer. Yeah, um, doesn't get enough credit, know, in my just, opinion, for how good he was. He won a lot of big freaking no, races, right? He he did, and he you know, and and when you can. When you can see those guys that, you know, and, and uh, Wendell, he could do it with, you know, not a, I don't mean to sound, to sound bad, but he could do it effortlessly. He, it just came natural to him and, you know, and he didn't have to, he didn't have to, it wasn't, he wasn't going to work as hard, but he didn't have to work as hard. He was just talented, you know, and, and doing that. So when I was teammates with him, I, you know, I learned a lot. I really did learn a lot because I just got to traveling. You know, and, um, and and with those guys, and he had kind of traveled around a little bit, Texas area, and you know, and done some stuff. But he had an awful lot of success, um, you know, with OJ, and so we we were them, we were with them in ninety. Uh, was it seven? Six, seven and yeah, eight. Yeah, I was 90? gonna say three years, I think, right? Six, seven, and eight. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. Ninety six, seventy eight, and um, so um, so uh, that was an opportunity that that helped me. Uh, we still ran our program. Shane and I still ran our program out of Chattanooga. And uh, my stepdad had built us a shop that we have there still now. We don't use it, but they're in Chattanooga. And and so we kind of operated out of that. And Wendell was out, you know, out there. And, and we were in GRT cars yeah. at the time. And, um, you know, so when we were out in that area, we'd stay out there. And when they were in this area, they would stay, you know, with us up in this area. And we had a lot of races in this area. Uh, you know, have a temper races and stuff then, too, um, obviously, as that thing was growing. But uh, but he was it, it was entertaining uh, to to run and I learned a lot learned a lot but he there's never a dull moment or or uh, usually not usually there's always a laugh involved anytime you're you're around him that's that's awesome. Do you have a good? I mean I gotta ask. Do you have a good a Wendell story you can tell? I mean listen I'd take any of them but I know some of them probably aren't appropriate. <laughs> Are there any good Wendell stories? Because people that cannot appreciate how freaking funny Wendell Wallace is and the the stuff he does he is so good and so funny and so genuine. Do you got a good one, Dale? Do you got a good Wendell Wallace story? Man, I have got I have got a ton of them. I'm not sure <laughs> how many we can tell. I mean, we have traveled a lot together, and, and uh, you know, so I mean, it, it is it's funny. Some of the stuff that this the unexpected stuff, basically, with with him. I mean, because it's not ever planned out. It's uh, <laughs> it's just happens, you know. So I probably don't have any that I probably need to share because I. It may offend somebody. <laughs> I don't think he would care, but it may, right. it may offend somebody. But but he, I mean, we did. We had uh, we just had a, 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 a an awesome time, you know, running up and down the road and and uh, and doing that during that time in that era. And and uh, it, it is. It was it was a lot of fun. For the record, I talked to Wendell uh, about you before this interview, and he said one. And I'm trying to do my best Wendell Wallace impression. One thing about McDowell, he said. He goes, I always made a lot of bad decisions, and Dale was the one trying to keep me straight in line, he said. He kind of, he kind of painted you as the guy. You were the guardrails, Dale. Is that a fair assessment or no? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe he would uh, 
he he would he would venture off down a path every now and then, and, and I'd just ask him what he was thinking. Yeah, um, fair you know, enough. <laughs> fair enough. But, but he, he 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 was he was good. He's always entertaining. That that is what provided the entertainment, though, because if everybody did everything that they were supposed to do, how boring would it be? I, I say it about Jimmy Owens all the time. Jimmy Owens is one of the cleanest racers I've ever seen in my life. If everybody drove like Jimmy Owens, it'd be boring. We need a little spice it'd out there boring. on the racetrack. Right? <laughs> that's so. a, that's a hundred percent right. Yeah. Hey, uh, your car owners, run me through all the car owners you've had in your career. Um, obviously, I know that the Childress team, and now with Shane, and you raced for Boyer for a while, and OJ. I, I guess I can't quite get a beat, Dale, on all, who all has owned your cars over the years. I know you did yourself, too, but take me through those if you could. Well, I, I, when we started out, you know, it was it was just I owned all my own stuff. Uh, really didn't venture out or have any car owners um, until we did that deal with, with OJ. Um and basically, then we owned we owned the cars. He helped with the engine program, and and helped with the bills. We we owned the cars. And um, uh, but you know, my stepdad actually Joe Dover, which Dover Stonehead was with me forever. And I would not Shane and I wouldn't be where we are today without his support and his help. And you know, so so he uh, he actually owned owned some cars, and you know, throughout the throughout the deal but as far as us driving for anyone um you know we we did the deal with with uh, larry shaw and and you know he and ken hendricks were, were car owners and that was we were with them for five years um that kind of pretty much started it and then we kind of run our own stuff basically you know uh, we, we run larry stuff five about five years before we went to rcr um and then when we went over there um you know, they. I was over there for for a short period of time. Shane and Sarah was over there all the time, and they were there for eleven years, I think. Yeah. So at that point, Team Dylan Racing owned everything, and then I drove. I did drive for Clint for three years. Boyer there, you know, so he was car owner. Um, you know, and then after we left there, now Shane and Sarah are car owners. So uh, I really, you know, I haven't driven um for many people i did drive for for ralph curtis for butch curtis there yeah, curtis equipment. i yeah. drove for him i drove for i drove for him for six seven eight months in between uh skip took some went took took some time off or went a different direction or something and so i drove for him for a little bit and um you know so so i ventured around and run some races here and there but as far as us actually uh you know in our career we really operated out of the Chattanooga area, yeah. you know, basically out of our shops and with our own stuff until we went to RCR, until we went to North Carolina in 06. How did that, NAS- how did that Childress connection happen for you? Take me through that a little bit, Dale. How, how did all, and I, you and I have talked about it, but I kind of like the audience to hear it a little bit. Well, it, it um, really, Tony, it all happened with Tony Stewart, yeah. to tell you the truth. Um, Tony was doing the prelude um, to the dream. And back, and you'll remember this, when he was borrowing cars yeah. <laughs> for those guys to drive. Right. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so that's how that started out, you know, and, and he, he actually would pay for the damages. So, so he called me up. I'm not even sure if he remembers this, but he called me up and he's like, are you still doing your driving school? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, he said, man. These guys that have no dirt experience are costing my ass on this thing, um, uh, <laughs> car repair stuff. And, and, uh, so he said, can you work with some of them? And so I said, sure, I'd love to, you know? And so the first couple, first couple, first guy he sent me was, was Kevin Harvick because Kevin had no dirt experience. And, and so we worked with Kevin a couple of times. I worked with him two or three times. He came over two or three times. Um, 
before the the prelude and um, what track Dale? But, uh, where was he at what track north georgia hey, north, georgia. north okay. georgia speedway okay yep north georgia and uh so we was doing the schools down there and there's a little landing strip over there close to the racetrack so it made it convenient for those guys to come in but anyway so he went back and actually told um richard um uh you know austin and ty was getting ready to to go racing a little bit and so he kind of went back and told austin and ty or told richard that they need to send you know him down through the school so then austin came up and and uh you know and and did a, a school deal and was going to go racing and then richard called me and, and wanted some guidance uh tony had actually told him to talk to me or whatever about what to do and how to take them racing and what you know just kind of wanted a direction and so i went over and met with him a couple of times and this so happened at that time our tenure with with um, with Hendrix, with Kenny and and Shaw was was uh, you know about at its end, um, you know, and so we were kind of kind of be looking for something to do. So so Richard just uh, uh, we went over there and sat down in his office. That's a quick story. We sat down in his office and he's like, Hey, I need somebody to take these boys racing. Are y'all interested? You know, he said y'all come recommend it or whatever. And he said you would like to do it. And so we're sitting there talking and he's asking me, Where do you want to go? You know, in your racing career or what you want to do and i said well you know i, I said i i've been fortunate and i've won you know some races and i got a little bit put up and i got a little bit of equipment but i said i don't have enough equipment or money to go racing anymore richard with the way the cost is now there's just not as many owner drivers out there so he listened to what i had to say and we're in this big office and he said he said well we got a lot in common and i'm looking around this office and saying the hell we do you know <laughs> but but he but, but he said uh you know he said that like when uh Earnhardt got killed and and the one you know that was when technology and and all the engineering was coming in nascar and they were doing pull down rigs and all that stuff and he said you know he told me then he said uh, judy and i had to sit back and look at what we were doing and he said i couldn't gamble everything that that we had made you know, and, and had accumulated. And so he had actually, uh, sold part of the, part of the business at that time to an investment group. And that kind of took it to the next level. And so, you know, so, so that's when we, he, he ended up hiring us and, and we went over there, um, you know, and, and took Austin and Ty racing and it just opened up a lot of, not only is it a good family, um, it just opened up a lot of opportunities, you know, for us. And, and, uh, so, so uh, somebody, good Lord, was looking out for us, you know, and, and uh, so it just opened some doors for us and was able to go racing and do some stuff. And, you know, Shane did an awesome job kind of managing that program and doing it as same as he does today with our program. He does, he does, uh, you know, most all of it, he and Sarah. And uh, so that's kind of how it all happened. And uh, then when we left over there, uh, the development deal, you know, wasn't, funding as much maybe as it as as we'd hoped for or they'd hoped for so shane bought all the and the boys got busy um you know and and uh so shane bought everything and and took it to morrisburg and um so that's where we are today you know i've got some themes that i repeat in my podcast a lot but i really feel strongly about them so i guess it doesn't bother me that i bring them up with recurring guests a lot or bring them up with guests, more than one guest, I should say. You know, we're talking about this mid-90s into early 2000s era, and you've referenced it a couple times. I always say it's the best 10-year stretch in late model history. 
95, 96 to 2005, 2006, it is the golden era of the sport. It's the most romantic 10-year stretch in late model history. Your brother called it when I talked to him for this interview, the most fun he's ever had in his career. Let's just geek out about it a little bit, Dale. It was the best, wasn't it? 95, 96 to 05, 06. I'm so sentimental about that time. Why are we so (laughs) sentimental about that time? I just love it. It was, it was a happy time. Um, you know, we were building something, you know, uh, it it was in, it was the foundation, you know, so, so, um, it was, I mean, it it took a group of people to do it, uh, you know, and there was a good group of racers running up and down the road supporting, you know, these shows. And, and so there was a bond and, and, you know, when you look back, these racers will race each other hard and, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, 90% of them, if, if you've got a problem, are there for you, Yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, you may have a couple of, a couple of guys that, that are a little bit self-centered, but usually there's a lesson that'll come around and get them to where it opens them up, you know, too. But, but, uh, but at that point in time, it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, it was a, it was an age two that we were trying to, you know, for myself, I was trying to become a better racer and, and, and trying to, to notch, not you know notch my name in the in some of the history and and you know and so i really feel like that that there was a lot of guys that, this, that was in the same situation so when you're traveling up and down the road like that and there's no expectations basically you're just building something and trying to take it to where it'll you know where to the next level um and it was good competition you know and, and got a lot of good people out there you know from everywhere you know uh you know you had guys from from arkansas with with Joe and them to, um, you know, to, to Mark Richards. And, you know, he, he actually started going, you know, and, and supporting and traveling. It got them out of their region, yeah. you know, and it got the Arkansas guys out of their region. It just kind of mixed everybody up. Yeah. And, and, uh, when it makes when it mixed everybody in together like that, I think that was the magic. Shit, you know, and yeah. I think that's what that's what built that's what built it. Fun is such the key word, right? Racing is such a business now, and not that you guys didn't have to worry about money then, but the, the word fun gets talked about so much in that area because it wasn't so much of a business. And Shane says too, racing was easier then. It was easier to race then. Is that right? And what do you think your brother means by that? Well, I think uh, you know now when you when you start getting the things that we've had you know, uh, the tools back then, we didn't, it wasn't as, as, uh, as many, um, as wasn't as much available when you right. start getting technology, when you start getting technology in and, you know, and the sport starts growing, that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. You know, once it starts growing, there's going to be other people that's feeding stuff in to make you faster. And, you know, you've got, instead of one company or three companies trying to do stuff, to produce stuff to make you faster, you've got 25 companies you know, that that's trying to produce things to do that. And so I think that's what is, you know, is probably was easier back in the day because engine cost wasn't near what it is today because of technology. Um, you know, and, and uh, we wasn't on the leading, we were on the leading edge of everything, but nobody in dirt lay model racing was, was, um, um, you know, testing as much because we didn't know where to go to, to, we were maxed out with our te- with our knowledge, you know, as racers. So we just kept it simple, stupid, kind of. You know, right, and I think right. that's when we was having fun. And you know, and then now it's um, you know it's more about testing. It's you know more about uh, your limitations, um, you know, of, of your adjustments. 
um, you know, engine stuff, uh, shocks, everything is just such a key part of it. And it just makes it a little more difficult. It's not, I don't think anybody has tried to make it more difficult. It's just with a, with a sport growing like it has, there's been more involvement with different companies and that's grown too. And I just think there's so many more options and, and so many for, more people competing toward that goal. And, and it just makes it a little bit stressful. Here comes my other obligatory question that I keep asking guests. Um, you can tell, by the way, I've, I've aged myself completely. It's so obvious I'm a 40-year-old and grew up watching McDowell and Eckert and Francis. Like, it's so obvious when you listen to my interviews. But if I just said to you, Dale, hey, the Goodyear Hoosier, Outlaws versus Extreme Battle, what did you make of all that? What would you say? What would be your response to that? Obviously, you went with the Outlaws that year. Um, man, I, every time I ask this question, whether it's Mark Richards or Hoghead or Rick Eckert, I always get some interesting answers. What looking back, Dale? How do you view that that year in late model racing? Well, it was it was chaotic. I mean, you know, because you you create those opportunities for people, and you really don't know what the hell direction to go. Um, you know, you have a lot of people that are throwing ideas around, and and you know, and and have support, you know, in the sport. But but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it, it's uh, you know the team owners. Um, are the investors and the promoters are the investors <clears throat> and, and, uh, you know, the drivers are, are a product, you know, that, that are out there the way I view it. Um, you know, that, that you're selling them those names, um, you know, but, um, uh, but at that point in time, everything was splitting off and going different directions. You had certain people running this and certain people running that. And, and, and we really didn't know what direction to go. We, we Shane and I would just sit down and, and look at it to see whatever we thought, was going to be the long-term, um, you know, go-to as far as, as going to be there the longest and, and the most solid. And that's the kind of direction we went. But, but, you know, looking now, if there was more, more tire companies involved yeah. or more this or more that, who knows, who knows what that would be like, you know, in, in, in today's world, um, you know, and most of the time and, and, and on motorsports, you, you don't have that. I mean, you, you'll migrate to, to, uh, you know, there's not ever been an overabundance of, of chassis builders out there. I mean, you got five or six or, or seven or whatever, you know, I really don't know. I need to, that'd be something to look at, but, but you have that and then you got five, six, seven engine builders that are, you know, are focused in and, you know, and then you, then you get down to, you know, shock companies or something like that in today's world. And you got two or three or four and, you know, and, and so, so who knows, you know, when, when you when if a series come out now and mandated that you run this top shock this tire you know this this that or the other i i don't think it would i mean i think it would dilute the the product out there a little bit i think it's a it's a it's, i mean we have pretty strong car counts that you know or pretty strong competition you know at, at these special events uh obviously now now when the two series are kind of running against each other you know the car count split up a little bit and to be truthful, I feel like the car counts are down sometimes at those events because the competition is so damn tough. I agree. Uh, they will go. They will go. You know, try to find them a, a regional race or something. You know, to, to go and, and try to feel like that they'll do better at that place. So you know, it's a better business decision for them, whether it be 
tire rules or something like that. Last thing real quick on that outlaw, you know, uh, who's your good year whole thing, Doug Bland thing from that year. Everybody's got their favorite like cloak and dagger story. There was a guy that called me and told me to meet him at the Pittsburgh airport. Or there was a guy I met him in the basement of Indianapolis at PRI. Do you have, <laughs> do you have a good cloak and dagger story, Dale? <laughs> well, I mean, I had to I had to go to the Pittsburgh airport a couple of times on some meetings. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but but you know, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it, it was just something something else for us to to have to choose and decide on, and and uh, and you know, I mean, it, it, people wouldn't be trying to get involved if it wasn't something you know a good product out there and something feasible, um, you know, and and I just hope that I hope that that you know we can keep it keep the ball rolling so to speak and and keep everything you know everything's everything is uh, changed a lot. So obviously you're talking about the commissioner part of it. There's probably some things that need to be addressed and need to be just kind of held back a little bit, maybe, you know, and, sure. and not uh, as far as, as far as uh, uh, it's pretty much free to go whatever direction you want to go with, with, with so many different things. So, but uh, rules and, and things like that. But, uh, but I, I think, you know, when those guys, when those opportunities, you know, people are out there digging and trying to be a part of it. So, you know, so be it. And then us racers and team owners and stuff like that just have to kind of pick and choose the right path. But it seems like it's kind of stabled out. You know, all that stuff did go crazy and more meetings and this one's going to start that and that one's going to start this. And, 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 uh, but really and truly it kind of just fell back to the, to the roots where it kind of started and originated. So, uh, that's where we are. I feel like today. Obviously, the back of the World 100 T-shirt says Dale McDowell, winner, 2005 World 100. But, you know, we all know the story. Shannon Babb wins the race. He's light at the scales. You're declared the winner. And, by the way, I still say to this day, it is the most gracious victory lane interview given the circumstances I have ever heard in my life. And, and I tell you that all the time, and I mean it. It was beautiful how you handled it. Do you – I'm going to ask this as it's an odd way to say it, Dale, but I'm just going to ask it. Do you consider yourself a World 100 champion? Well, I, I do in a sense. I led part of that race. Um, you know, I led a good portion of that race. So so I'm mixed about it. It's not like I told you before. It's not one of those deals where you celebrate heavily. Um, but, you know, you look back at at when Scott was light and Davenport won. Uh, you know, Davenport is, is the winner of the race. That's right. So I was in position to, to, I inherited the win. Um, you know, is that what outran me? And no, no, the, the, the weight's not what outran me and, you know, and, and stuff. But, but I feel like through technic technicalities, you know, that, that we won the race. So I was, uh, so I feel like that, that it's, it's a mixed, it's a mixed feeling, Michael, really, because, because sure. I feel a sense of accomplishment because we were there and, and we had ourselves in place to, you know, wasn't planning on that at all. But, but you know, I haven't been able. I've been really, really, really close to winning the world, and and we've actually, we've actually had some some really consistent runs. Eldora been been really blessed to to have had some consistent runs up there in the dream and in the world, uh, but haven't been able to win that world. So if I do win that <laughs> world, it's going to be a way bigger celebration. But it would be more of a clean. Um, uh, I guess a clean yeah. feeling if, if I won it and earned it, um, you know, but, but there again, I, I feel like that us as a team and, and what we accomplished, you know, at least we were there and at least we led part of that race. So it wasn't a give me, 
Uh, but we did win it on technicality. So I've always kind of, you know, been a, a an asterisk maybe beside that as far as something I need to go back and, and uh, hopefully do one day. Do you and Shannon ever talk about it? I'm sure you have at some point, but do you guys ever talk about that night? No, not really. I mean, we talk about it. I, I talked to him that night. Um, yeah. You know, I, I went over and talked to him that night. And, um, you know, and, and it, it's crazy because that thing is – it's so hard to put everything together to win that event, you know, and, and, uh, you say that, and then, you know, Jonathan's won what four, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, four already. Yeah. You know, so for some <laughs> of us, for some of us, for some of us, that, that thing's hard to, to try to capture, you know, so Shannon hasn't been able to, to go back and get that, you know? And, and so I know as, as he gets older, you know, he, he probably feels like, man, I gave that one away and he did. You know, and, but, but we don't, I mean, we don't ever talk about, you know, that I think it's always, it's, it's usually brought up, you know, when we're around each other or something at some point. And, uh, but he, he understood, you know, that yeah. night, um, you know, and, and, um, and then, like I said, I, I just didn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, uh, a race that you, that you want to do a, a huge celebration. And so I, I did feel bad for, for him and, and, you know, what the way the rules you know, kind of took that away from him and, um, you know, but, but we were there and, you know, so we did have a, a little bit of a sense of accomplishment on at least being there and in place to, to, to take it. Last couple of things, Dale, before we get to true or false, one of the great footnotes in your career is nearly 20 years ago when you and I's careers, our career paths actually crossed for the first time. You get accused of using traction control after a UDTRA race, a victory in Kankakee, Illinois. I just so happened to be very early in my career i'm in college at illinois state i'm covering the race for national dirt digest that night it was kind of a big deal at the time it was pre-internet you know to a degree for the folks at home you did not actually use traction control so let's get that out of the way first of all it's just funny to me that 20 years ago i was there covering you you were there richie lewis was there he was a series director for udtra try to explain that night for folks at home because again you, I, I think Shane told me you guys had done some testing with it, but then you did not have it on the car. It was just a weird night at Kankakee, Illinois, on a week night. I even think I remember, if I remember correctly. Well, it was. It, yeah. it was. It was a. It was in Kankakee. You're right, and and we had tested the week before at Atomic. Yeah. Uh, when when the Atomic was there in Knoxville, and we tested there, and there again, it was it was a it was technology coming into the sport, and everybody was kind of in question of it. Everybody was like, "Does he have it?" Well, that's why he won. Does he have <laughs> it? So we decided to go test, and uh, so that guy, you know, came over and and we actually put a light. I don't know if Shane told you this, but we actually put a light on the top of the car, and uh, Francis was there with me testing. Yeah. Um, and and Richard, Richard's Mark was there. So, so, and first of all, the traction control at that point in time was a timing control. Yeah. It, it just, it just kind of took timing out of your engine when the, so many RPM spiked. Um, so anyway, they put this light on top of our car at Atomic. And so if we went out and drove just, just really aggressive and, and the light would come on. But if we went out and run our normal race, uh, techniques for, for that condition, the light never came on. Um, so, so when we were in the car, so we didn't know, but to make a long story short, they had the harness up on the MSD box, which is above the, the master cylinders. And, uh, they put, it was a three wire harness there. And, and so it was on the car. Well, so when we went to Kankakee, 
um i didn't think nothing about taking that harness off and i didn't even have the traction control unit <laughs> I, I, I didn't even have it it was in um, mark richard's you know, safe he has told us that <laughs> on the air so. yes yes it was in mark's safe so so anyway um so we won that race and god man the 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 and really, I, I had never really ran well there. So obviously, if you go somewhere and you run well, they're obviously looking for a reason why you ran well. Yeah. You know, and as, as they do today, what's he doing? Is he cheating on tires? Is he got trash control? Is he doing this? Is he doing that? You know, so so um, so they do anything, you know, really to to try to pinpoint what you're doing. But uh, oh, they they search they searched me. They took me in the trailer and to see and and patted me down to see if I had it in my fire suit and. And uh, made me unzip my fire suit and take my fire suit back, and I'm like, "What?" And then somebody stated they saw me throw it out the window. Well, the race paid ten thousand. The traction control was sixty five hundred. I damn sure ain't gonna throw one of them out the window in that case. But anyway, to make a long story short, they did find me uh, because we, ha- you know, and obviously they didn't they didn't find anything because they didn't have anything. Uh, but there was so many people that was making yeah. negative derogatory statements that that it, it went with me for a long time I remember, you know yeah. it I, I actually i actually told overton because they you know all the, the talk with him and this that and the other and stuff he was doing and and what he you know what he had been accused of and so i told him i said they'll get, they'll come up with a nickname for you so don't worry about it just keep going keep winning races man that's all you can do <laughs> um you know but but they uh they actually fined me for the race, you know, a little bit. I can't remember what it was, $2,500 or something. And then the next race we went to, uh, I wasn't very good. So that was the worst case scenario. Of course. Because everybody's like, course, see, yeah. yep, see, yep, yep. There, I knew he had it. I knew he had it. <laughs> so I'm like, damn, what the, how, how's that look work? So anyway, then the next couple of races we went to, we won. And uh, um, so when we won those races, they – you know, actually took our cars back and went through inspection and made sure. So at least I was able to, to, to kind of redeem, um, save face a little bit, but, but it was, it doesn't seem like 20 years ago, but to be, but, uh, to be fair, but, my favorite but, nickname, Dale was Dale Maction control. If I had to pick my favorite <laughs> nickname, that was, you know, my, <laughs> I, I told Overton, we were, we were at Eldora and he said, hey, I got my car tore apart looking for, for, that traction control is something. And I said, yeah. I said, hell, I had, I had Mac traction nickname, nickname forever. <laughs> I said, so, <laughs> but that's just part of, part of some of the, some of the things you go through. Last couple of things here. Shane's shop is obviously it's on the same property as, as Scott's shop there in Tennessee. The stories that you hear that come out of that shop are legendary, right? Anybody that passes through Bloomquist shop, do you have a best Wow, I can't believe I saw this at Scott Bloomquist's shop story, Dale. You want to share? <laughs> it's entertaining. I mean, uh, it's uh, one of the funniest. The funniest. One of the funniest things was was uh, you know Scott's a hell of a racer. Uh, obviously, his his uh, credentials, you know, all his credit, you know, is is amazing. And uh, but when we first went out there, he was he was on a piece of a equipment out there trying to dig a drainage ditch and he's not an operator so i (laughs) that was was kind of a a a funny story but there's it's always something over there you know i mean um you know he's he's uh he's he's a a simple just a simple guy and and uh you know and and there's always and he looks at things sometimes i mean you can talk to him and 
and he'll say stuff and you're like, well, why wasn't I thinking about it that way? You know? And then sometimes he'll say something and you'll think, what's he thinking? Um, you know, so, so it's always interesting, you know, and, and, uh, but it is, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. And I'm sure I'm not there as much as, as Shane and Sarah. So I'm sure they see oh, they, yes, more of the, yes. more, more of the candid, more of the candid moments of that. <laughs> they, uh, you know, they, you know, last year, the, the picture was on the internet. Scott was out sunning, you know, after the, 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 uh, the motorcycle accident, he was out there sunning in his hospital bed, you know, getting some sun. I love that. <laughs> and it's just the best, right? We're, we are fortunate to have him in a way though. Right. I mean, he just is, he's not only is he the greatest. There, yeah, there, there again, how boring would it be without him? <laughs> hey, I, I don't want to lead you in this question, so I'll leave it open-ended a bit. You see all this big money that's been announced in our sport here the last month, right? The Lucas stuff, all these independent races that are going on. I've actually had some people say, you know, that they don't know about if this is the right thing or not, but I just kind of want to leave it open-ended. Dale, I think if I told Dale McDowell in 1996, he'd see this and go, oh my God, it's the greatest thing ever. Maybe you still feel that way. What do you think of this giant cash infusion in late model racing here in the last couple months that we've seen? Well, I'm, 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 I think I'm talking from a team owner, you know, and a driver. I haven't looked at the purse structures. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan in today's world of maybe not the so much on top to win races. So I'm all about the purses being increased. If people are out supporting, sponsors are out supporting them. I just kind of like it to be you know, leveled out because I feel like that strengthens the sport. Um, you know, when we first did that race, when, at, at, at El Roar, when, when they put the, the 125,000, put the 25,000 on the, on top, you know, and, and I was close to, to, to winning that close to sneaking by Brandon there to get that. But, but, you know, that was, we had such a close finish and everybody that says, man, look at how hard y'all race for the 125,000. And that is such a false statement because we're, hell, we're racing heat races that don't pay nothing that hard. Right. You know, uh, you know, so, so I feel like that, you know, I feel like maybe that the purses need to be advertised, um, as an increase, uh, which I think some promoters have done that. Um, but I am not, I'm a fan of, of the support because it does take more money, you know, to do it. I just, I hope it doesn't get uh to where it's uh yeah. you know just all on top and because really in my viewpoint from that you know they could have taken you know that that other money you know twenty five thousand, put two thousand a spot for 12 spots yeah and you know in, in the back and you know and, and helped and help guys more you know but i know they want that hype i know you know i've been on the promoter side yeah, a little yeah. bit yeah so, so I, I understand that hype but i think they can go in and and, and do total purse that's up for grabs uh, you know, and, and, and make that be attractive. But, but I think it's, I, I think it's okay. I mean, I, I think it's all right as long as it's proportioned, you know, and, and, yeah. uh, I, I think if it's proportioned, okay, I think it, you know, it, it's a good thing. You mentioned your driving school a couple of times. I, I would like to hear a funny driving school story. You don't have to give me a name. If you want to, you can. Is there anybody that's come into that driving school and when it's over, you're like, Oh man, <laughs> this was, holy cow. That was a weekend. I don't need a name, but does that happen as a driving school instructor in dirt late model racing? I'd imagine. Well, one of our, I mean, one of, and I don't know if Shane would have, he he would tell the same story. Uh, one of the coolest things is Ryan Gifford. Um, you know, he, and he obviously he worked at RCR forever and went over there with us and a good little race car driver. But when he first come down, and we get, we joke and cut up, but when he first come down, he brought his car down, 
and and he he his car was he had some problems with it or whatever. So uh, so so I told him I said, "Come here." I got my dog here. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. So I I said, I said uh, I, he he went out and made laps and uh, and uh, so he was struggling. So I told Shane, I said, "Put him in one of our school cars because he needs to be able to get some laps here." So he goes out and he does really awesome. Shane comes over there and he's like, man, is that, is that that kid in that car? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing great. You know, and all right, I asked Shane that, I think. And he told me who it was. And so then he goes out the next time and, uh, he comes off the corner and he spins all the way down the front straightaway. And we still to this day, we'll talk about it occasionally, but the steering wheel came off. And so, <laughs> so, so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I put this kid in this car, you know, and he's going to wipe it out. But we've had, we've had guys, it's, 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 uh, We've had guys come through and they'll bring cars. We've had them bring homemade cars, um, you know, whatever, and we'll work on them and try to work with them and try to help them. And and uh, so so there's this story after story of of crazy stuff, you know, <laughs> that people will do in the seat and and stuff that you see. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's just a good time. Toughest guy you ever raced against? Who is it? One one single guy. Uh, I'll, I'll take two. But no more. I can't. Don't do the hoghead. I asked him for his five best tracks, and I think he gave me thirty. So don't, don't well, do that. I mean, I, I'd say the hardest. I mean, you know, the toughest competitor in in my era. I mean, to date, you know, you can obviously pick them weekly now. Well, this year, past year, it's, it's been Brandon yeah. in Overton. But but uh, but you know, week in and week out would have been would have been uh, you know back in the day would have been Purvis and and Scott and Billy and and you know you guys. When y'all do these segments on stuff, Scott and Billy are are the two that that are always to mind, and that's just because they earned it. Yeah. You know, they were there, and uh, you know, it's it's just it is what it is. One final question before true or false, I promise. This is my last one before true. I could just I could ask you three hours worth of questions. <laughs> one thing that I love to hear about you. Dale, you just have such a persona as a mild mannered guy, and I think it's accurate. You are mild mannered. You are level headed, but. I talked to a few of your friends and family, and they said, make no mistake, when Dale needs to flip the switch and it's go time, he, he will flip the switch, and you will know that Dale McDowell means business. Is there an extra gear to Dale McDowell that maybe I and others don't see that, you know, maybe your dad <laughs> raised you this way, I think I've heard a little bit, that when shit needs to get real, Dale McDowell gets real? Well, that could be true. I, I, I am, I, I am, I am try, I try to be mild mannered. Uh, and sometimes I just, you know, I will, I'll just, it goes to the next level. And, and a couple of my, a couple of the people when we travel up and down the road, some things have happened and, and they look at me like, Holy smokes, where'd that come from? So <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it, uh, sometimes it just happens that way, you know, and, and, uh, but not very seldom. I mean, I can count on one hand usually how that, how that works out, but, uh, and I've heard but that not very seldom. I've heard that it's only about four or five times, but those four or five times are relatively legendary was the term I was told. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, oh, man. All right. We end every single Rigsby report podcast with a couple of true or false questions, true or false Dale. You get to answer these true or false. Okay. First one here. True or false, as I referenced Cleveland being a tough place, one night there was a fight that broke out on the track, like literally actually happened on the track. Somebody jumped on your back. People were getting hit. Punches were being thrown. This person jumps on your back. They're hitting you. They're waylaying you. You turn around and knock this person out because you're just fighting your way out of the fight only to realize that it was actually a woman who was on your back that you had been battling and that you had knocked out. Is that true or false? 
That's true. <laughs> she, she was my size, though. She wasn't little. <laughs> what What happened? Just a typical night at Cleveland? Is that what that was? Yes, and and my shield fogged up. I couldn't see what I was doing. All I knew I, that I had a lot of excitement going on, and and I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to hit a woman. I just, but she was right in the middle and kind of in the way. I guess so. Yeah. That is true. All right, good, true. Number one, uh, true or false? Number two. I mentioned that you were Wendell Wallace's teammate. It's a well-known kind of thing in our in our sport that Wendell didn't care much about, like. I'm trying to think about the right way to say it's learning how to do stuff. Like, he, you know, the, the basic pole, tip poles of life, Wendell didn't really care that much about him. Is it true you guys had to teach Wendell Wallace how to address an envelope? Is that he didn't know how to write an address on an envelope? Is that true or false? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that happened at Cedar Lake. That's true. <laughs> I mean, like no concept, Dale. Like where the where the name went? Nothing. I guess I'm confused I, a little bit. <laughs> I, I think everybody had been taking Krita and his mom had been taking care of him, and mailing all the bills, obviously. <laughs> all right, that's that's two good true ones. Hey, uh, my final true or false question, and I like this one a lot. True or false? The maddest you have ever been in your racing career, and this is according to some people that knew you was the year that Jonathan dumped you at Cherokee, and then the Cherokee folks played the Rocky music as you were walking towards J.D.'s car. Is that the maddest you've ever been? And, Jonathan, I want you to hear this, buddy. Is that the maddest you've ever been, true or false? Pro- pro- probably within the top three. Yes, probably true. <laughs> true. True. He knew it. He knew it. I mean, we, we, we don't talk about it these days, but he knew it. We talked after the race and the next day, so he knew it was true. Wasn't yes, there, I was mad. Wasn't there something there, too? You were in Boyer's car, and he was going to Boyer's car, and he thought he maybe wasn't going to be in Boyer's car after that happened. I think there's something to that right there, isn't there? Well, he, he well when I was leaving, uh, Clint wanted me to, you know, he said, hey, you know, you're going to stay here and, you know, drive it for, for your brother and, you know, and them, and I'm going to do this other deal. Who do, who do you think I need to get? And I said, I think you need to get Jonathan, you know? <laughs> so I was the advocate for him. And, and the way the, I mean, it, it would have been somebody else probably if it wasn't him, but the way they put that line at Cherokee, I, I am not a fan of one line. They've had start <laughs> problems all this year, you know, but I'm not a fan of one line because what that does is that tells everybody in the field where you're going to start. Right. And, and so, so he got a good role and, 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 and he come across there and, and, uh, maybe thought he had me clear, but didn't have me clear and took me out. And that was like our last race. And so, yes, I, I was, uh, I, I, I didn't hear any rocking. I couldn't hear anything while I was walking <laughs> in this car. I, there was steam coming out. I think I couldn't hear any rocking music, but, but it is, that was true. It is probably one of the top three or four times that I was mad. Well, Dale, you're, you're off the hook. And I, ju- I just wanted to tell you, I, I meant what I said in the open. I, I, yeah, I shot you a couple, several text messages there, obviously, when, when the news came in about your health. And I, I really mean this from the heart when I say it. I don't know that there's many people on the planet that I have more respect for than I do you and really your entire family, Shane and Sarah and everybody, but especially you. You have been you know, almost 15 years now for Dirt on Dirt, and you have been so gracious to us in our 15 years. And I know Todd and Kovac and Derek and, and, and everybody feels the same way. I just, I really, from the bottom of my heart, wanted to tell you, thank you. You have been, you know, a, a light and sometimes there's sometimes dark places in this sport and you have always been a light and I have so much respect for you. And I really did just want to tell you, thank you for that. It is, it has meant the world to me how you have treated us over the last 15 years, man. Well, I really appreciate that. And I know, I know Shane does and, and Sarah and everybody involved with me. I appreciate it. And, and it's it's very special, very very 
appreciate it and and uh, you know and and i do i've I've looked at it and, and been more more heartwarming toward toward uh you know the the people that's been involved in the sport that i've had uh you know so i certainly appreciate it and and uh to all the race fans out there i mean i've had so much fan support too and and uh you know it it really i mean when it takes something like this with health issue you know to make you sit back and and look at it which that ain't i mean you know i've, I've always viewed that uh, but but really it puts it in perspective when when you're sick and you don't know what's what's the next step is or or what's going to happen and and for everybody to reach out you know and and to show their their love and support and you know appreciation of you know our appreciation of, of them doing that is is uh you know is part of the healing process and you know that's helped me certainly and and so i certainly appreciate it more than you guys know well, Dale, thanks so much, buddy. Get healthy, be healthy, and uh, maybe we'll see you at Sonoya in a couple weeks. Maybe, maybe get back in the car. What do you think? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, I'm kind of shooting for that. I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna. Get, I got to go to the doctor before we go there, so so to see and he see if he'll release me and and uh, and let me go. But I'm kind of shooting for it. I'm wanting to, so I'll. Uh, we'll see here in a in a week or so if, if he's going to turn me loose. You know, I got an idea. You mentioned Chase Elliott. I say we just put Chase in the car if you can't race. What do you think? Do I need to talk to Shane <laughs> well, about this? <laughs> well, well, Chase is actually wanting to race some. I mean, a lot of those guys, you know, I think Larson, you know, what he's done is, is actually opened their eyes a little bit, and, wow. and uh, they're racers. They're racers. They like to race and get out there and do stuff. So Chase, is, he texted me back during the summer and, you know, and, and was wanting to race a little bit and do some stuff, and so, uh, so I think it's good for those guys to get involved and it's good for the promoters and, you know, and, and it's good for those guys to, to want to go out and do it and, and not really want to be compensated for it. They just want to go race, yeah. but, you know, so, uh, so I, I, I think that that's, uh, awesome for them guys to do it. You know, what Kyle does, you know, is bringing people and the awareness to, to what we're doing and it's nothing but positive. So, uh positive for everybody but the competition because so. yeah, yeah, no <laughs> he, he runs awfully he runs awfully good but uh but i think it's it's good so i, I think uh, you know state of the sport's good uh just hope that i can get to be back a part of it here pretty soon all right well let shane know two car team for sonoya okay i'll go ahead and i'll go ahead and pencil him down, okay. so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah go ahead and tell him that i i, I actually <laughs> asked him to put somebody in the car you know while i was going to be out and and he looked at me you know, and he said, I got enough shit to do. And, and he, <laughs> so, so, so he didn't want to put anybody in it. Cause there's a lot of good paying races and, uh, sure. you know, and, and he'd, he'd been working hard. He's been working hard and, and got that stuff going pretty good. So, uh, hopefully we can, you know, we can make something happen here at the end of the year. All right. Thanks buddy. Thank you. If you buy a car, truck, or van, new or used from Bomb Chevy Buick in Clinton, Illinois, you get a free, that is forever, lifetime subscription to Dirt on Dirt and Flow Racing. Check out Bomb Chevy Buick today. That's B-A-U-M, ChevyBuick.com. They are just south of me here in central Illinois and Clinton, and they also happen to be just incredible human beings to deal with. So if you want to buy a car or truck or van, new or used, buy it from Bomb, and you get the added benefit of a lifetime subscription to Flow and DOD, and that is pretty cool. You know how people always say, there aren't many better than, and you fill in the blank with the name, I'm not sure there is anybody better than Dale McDowell. If there's a better ambassador for our sport or person you could come across, I'm not sure that I'll ever find that person. Thank you to Dale for that incredible, lengthy interview that he just did. I I will really cherish this interview, I think, 
uh, for the rest of my career. We'll be back in a few weeks. Guess to be determined. I need some cool down time after Dale McDowell, right? It'll probably be the second or third week in November leading into Thanksgiving. The best of's coming up too. The best of 2021 races and moments and all that getting ready to come up. Derek Kessinger and the guys working on that. So look forward to that. Thank you to Manscaped and Bomb Chevy Buick for being huge supporters of the Rigsby Report also. And it's almost November, right? I can't believe it. Still still a lot of big races to go this year, and uh, it'll be Wild West shootout time in, uh, in New Mexico this year before you know it. So we'll be back in a few weeks, man. Thanks.